0: So this happened on October 2nd, 2006, in Lancaster County, uh, Pennsylvania. It's an Amish community in that area, and um, there was this man, um, these kids, you know, the parents dropped off their kids at this one-room schoolhouse, because the Amish, and um, these kids are anywhere from 6 years old to 12 years old, and you imagine, imagine, October 2nd, so the, w- the weather's kind of going from hot in Pennsylvania, to be a little bit cooler. And his parents drop these kids off, said goodbye to them. And a little while later, this man that th- most of them knew, he was a delivery man in the area. He wasn't Amish, but he w- made deliveries to the, the community. He walks into the school and looks around, talks to some of the teachers, and then walks out. And he walks back in with a gun. And he ties up 10 of the kids, again, 6 years old, 7 years old, 9 years old. Some kids ran away, some adults ran away, but he had these 10 here, and he took out his gun, and he aimed the gun at them, and he shot 10 of them. Five of them died, and then he shot and killed himself. And you can just imagine how like, absolutely devastating, uh, devastating to these moms and dads who just dropped their kids off. Devastating to this Amish community, devastating, I mean, devastating to the country. I remember when this happened, it was It was, It was. was like instantly that news that morning was so big. But then there came out news, then came, news came out that night, news came out that afternoon and that evening that this community had come and they'd rallied around these families who had lost their children. And these parents who had, who like literally were holding their dead children in their arms that morning were then on the news that night saying, we are praying for this man. We're praying for his family and we want the world to know that we forgive him. Couple days later, they had the funeral for their kids. I mean, you can imagine so many of these parents showed up and they and they they buried their own children, and the next day was this man's funeral. And so many people, these parents and these members of the community, they showed up at his funeral too, not to protest, not to like to yell at him, not to scream anyone down. They showed up at his funeral to pray with his wife, to pray with his three kids, and to pray with whoever knew him and to let them know that we forgive him. I remember one of the dads. He was on the news, and he and he said he said these words. He said, "This man he had a mother, and he had a wife, and he had a soul, and now he is standing before a just God." And again, I remember just being so blown away. And the, and the whole country, I remember it was one of those things like that's this is amazing to see this act of forgiveness out of these parents, these moms and dads, and this community. But it was so interesting that after people were inspired by this and after people were so moved by this, then came the people who were critical of this. People who were like just they were outraged, not at the guy, they were outraged at the guy, but they were also outraged at the moms and dads. They were outraged at the community. They were outraged at the audacity of these people who are willing to offer forgiveness to the man who murdered their children. They said that's not not just they were just scandalized. They were thought, no, those parents, that community, they're wrong. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. And you giving him forgiveness, you're wrong. Because how they saw it, how they saw it was uh, maybe how most of the world sees us as Christians when we offer forgiveness. It's just, you're condoning evil. You're just being passive in the face of evil. You're just looking away in the face of like what is horrible in this world. And that's why I think people can think of Christians. Especially when we talk about forgiveness, when we talk about mercy, I think sometimes we can think about that as Christians. Like, are we just blind to the evil? Are we just passive in the face of like a world that actually can crush us? Because in fact, that's actually that's how the world is. I mean, if you know this, like, the universe is pretty indifferent to us. I mean, the universe doesn't care at all about you. Doesn't the universe, you know, People are like, oh, Mother Nature, yeah, she does, she's a bad mom. She does not care at all about you or about me. The universe is absolutely absolutely indifferent to us. And so maybe, maybe in this universe that has disease, in this universe that has hor- tornadoes and hurricanes and things that can crush us, maybe we should be indifferent to that. Like maybe that's the answer. That the universe is indifferent to us, maybe we just are indifferent to the universe. Or, like, we, real, we realize this, we're walking in this world where people can be vicious to each other. We walk in this world where people are vicious to each other. So maybe that's how we should be. Maybe we should just be vicious back. Because those seems like our two options, right? In the face of an indifferent universe, be indifferent. Just, I don't care, whatever it is. Or maybe in the face of vicious people, we're just vicious back. Or maybe we're just passive. I think it's so interesting because Jesus is under no illusions. So remember last week we talked about Jesus beginning the Sermon on the Mount, and we talked about these six antitheses where Jesus goes and says, you heard it was said, but I say to you, right? We had four of those last weekend. And those, those four antitheses, those like you heard it was said, but I say to you, are all about Jesus trying to tell us, in letting us know that we're supposed to have hearts that are unwilling to use other people, right? He wants us to have hearts that are unwilling to demean other people, unwilling to deceive other people. That was those, those first four antitheses were about last weekend. But this weekend, those two antitheses, what they're about is this. Jesus saying, you're living in a world, you're living in a universe that is indifferent to you you're living among people who will be vicious to you and what's that here's what i want you to do i want you to have the kinds of hearts that when the world is indifferent or when people are vicious to you i don't want you to be vicious back and i don't you can't be indifferent back this is remember last week your heart do not be willing to demean others to deceive others to use others but today jesus is saying okay but here's the thing you're living in this dangerous broken world And there are people who will be willing to demean you and they are willing to deceive you and they are willing to use you. And so this has to be the kind of heart that you and I have when that happens. It's not a heart that is indifferent and it's not a heart that is vicious. I don't know if you ever ever wondered about, um, so what kind of heart is it? What kind of heart is it that Jesus says, okay, when you hit when the world hits you, when people hit you, what kind of heart do you and I have to have? Because Jesus begins by saying, You heard it was said. Well, what was said? The Old Testament, the Old Testament vision of what you do in the face of an indifferent world, what you do in the face of vicious people, is very, very good. It's so wise. The answer is justice. Right? In the face of this indifferent world, in the face of, of people who are vicious, the Old Testament answer, the Old Testament wisdom, and it is wise, it is so good, is Justice, be just. So, what's justice? Justice given to us by the Old Testament is giving someone what they deserve, giving someone what is owed to them, giving someone their due. It also means getting what's owed to you. It means getting what you deserve. It's getting what is your due. That's basically why you know the, this command was an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Basic, basically, 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 if you knock out a tooth, like here's the thing, because here's what I want to do. If someone knocks out my tooth, I want to take all of their teeth, right? So, knocked out one of my eyes. Scripture says, no, no, one eye for one eye stop at one eye. I'd be like, if you have five eyes, I will take all five eyes. Like that's, because that's what happens, right? When someone is vicious to us and we wanna overcompensate. And the justice of the Old Testament says, no, 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 I get it. That's what you want, but here's what wisdom will do. Just you give what is owed? So one tooth, one tooth. One eye, one eye. One life, one life. In the face of an indifferent universe, ambitious people, I need you to be that kind of people, God is just, right? And God is saying, I need you to be just as well. And this is, this is, so, this is so important for us to understand this. Because um, justice, living justice, forms us into the kind of people who are like God. And it affirms two things. Justice affirms at least two things. It, it reveals at least two things. Number one, it affirms the goodness of the person. So think about this. If you just had that, like, if Jesus came along and, and out of nowhere just said, you guys, forgive those who hurt you. Without first having justice, it would be basically like, um, be a doormat. (laughs) You don't really matter. When someone takes something from you, just give it to them, it's fine. You don't matter. What justice does, justice affirms the goodness of the person. Justice affirms your value. Justice affirms the fact that, no, no, they hurt you and that was wrong. Just the first thing justice affirms is the first thing that's taken when someone wounds us, isn't it? Now, how many how many times have you or I or anyone we know has been actually wounded and the first thing to go so often is that sense of self-worth. Like wait a second. I don't know if you've ever been someone or been with someone who has been truly victimized, truly used, truly abused. One of the things we begin to believe about ourselves is maybe I deserved that. We start to begin this lie that we question ourselves like wait a second, maybe I did do something that actually maybe this is what I'm worth. Maybe that's all I'm worth. Justice steps in the middle of that and says, no, no, no. The first thing justice says is it affirms your goodness. and says that, that shouldn't have happened to you. What they did was wrong. What justice affirms is the fact that your pain is just as real as anyone else's, that you matter. It affirms the fact that you count. Again, sometimes the first thing that's taken away from a victim is that belief that you matter, and sometimes it's it's the last thing that's brought back, that you didn't deserve this, it was wrong. Justice affirms your goodness. It has to do something else. It Not only does justice affirm your goodness, it also then restrains our vengeance. Because if you start to believe that, oh, wait a second, I'm worth more than this, then all of a sudden you get pretty ramped up, right? When someone does something against you, it's like, wait a second, I'm actually not the worst thing in the world. You're the wrong person. And then what happens is we want to take our revenge. Like what justice will do is not only affirm your goodness, but also restrains our vengeance. Because again, when it comes down to it, like I, I, no one wants to stop with one eye. I don't just want to m- make you equal, I want to get as much out of you as I possibly can. That's why justice is so smart, it's so wise, because it restrains that impulse. Again, the universe is indifferent to us, you don't matter. Justice says you do matter. Vengeance says, I want to be as vicious as possible. And justice says, no, no, give someone what's, what, what's owed to them. Basically, be like God. Be just. But then today in the gospel, Jesus goes even further. Because remember, justice is giving someone what's owed to them. And then, But Jesus goes even further. He steps out and he says, actually, I need you to give people what they don't deserve. I don't know if you ever, like, pause to, like, go through the list that Jesus walks through. He says, if someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one as well. Now, if you might not know this, maybe you heard someone explain this at one point. So, um, in the ancient world, if you hit someone, if you slapped someone, uh, you would slap them with your right hand. I don't know, it was one of the customs, just in case you ever go back in time, like right hand only. So typically, hit someone with your right hand, you slap them, you're slapping with an open hand, you're hitting them on the left side of the face. Again, just to be slapping etiquette, you know, to the, in the first century. But if you slap someone on the right side of the face, Jesus says if someone strikes you on the right side of the face, what he's describing is someone hitting you with the back of their hand which is not just injury, it's insult. It's not just hurting you. It means, basically, you're humiliated. It means you're less than. It means they're demeaning you. And I mean, think about it. Even like the notion of like, or the motion of slapping someone with the back of your hand. Isn't that just, I mean, this is like, yeah, I hate you. This is like, I can't even be bothered. You know, that kind of a situation. That is a, it's a movement of humiliation. And Jesus says, yeah, when you're humiliated, give them your other, other cheek as well. And he says, if someone sues you or goes to law with you over your tunic, your tunic is like your underclothes, your underwear. If someone sues you over your underwear, Jesus basically says, give them your cloak as well, the top layer. Now, people were not permitted to sue you in the first century for your top cloak because you needed that to stay warm. Apparently, they could sue the underwear off of you. But Jesus is saying this, if someone takes your underwear, give them everything. And lastly, he says, if someone presses you into service for one mile, go with two miles. Now, the Roman Empire, when they occupied Israel— it would, they have a legal right. They could make Jews carry their stuff for at least one mile. That was the law. Roman soldiers can make Jews carry their burden for one mile. And here's what Jesus. He says, the law says one mile. I'm telling you, go even further. What is Jesus saying in this? One of the things he's saying is, oh, gosh, this is so important. It's so important for us. When you're struck and humiliated, when you're stripped and naked, when you're forced to carry someone else's burden, here's the thing, you need to know this. My friends, you are not a victim. They force you to do this, they humiliate you like this, they strip you naked. You are not a victim. Because there's nothing they can take that you're not willing to give. There's nothing they can take from you that you're not willing to give. You can't take a mile, I'm going to give two. Two. They can't take your tunic. I'm going to give my cloak. They can't take my dignity. I'm going to give everything. I'm going to allow myself to be humiliated. There's nothing they can take that I'm not willing to give. Why? Because Jesus is saying, you need to love differently. Another way to say it is, you need to love defiantly. First, the Old Testament is like, be like God. He, He is just. And now Jesus is saying, but be like me. And Jesus loves differently. Jesus loves defiantly. Not in anger. But in the face of injustice, in the face of indifference, in the face of viciousness, Jesus is saying, what you have to do if you belong to me, you have to love defiantly. Because why? Because love must be stronger than the evil in the world. It's not passive to evil in the world. Like our love cannot be passive in the face of the indifferent universe or in the face of viciousness of other people. But loving defiantly means it has to be stronger than the evil you and I are going to encounter. It's not passive, it's active. Because that kind of love it defies the world as it is, indifferent to your pain. That kind of love defies viciousness. So I refuse to be stripped. You can't take anything from me that I'm not willing to give. And if we do that, not only do you preserve yourself from being a victim, but we become like him. I mean, honestly, think about this. If we do that, we're not only are we not a victim in this moment, there's nothing you can take from me that I'm not willing to give, But we become like him, Jesus. We're going to celebrate this at the end of Lent in just a few weeks. He allowed himself to be struck. His face he did not shield from buffets and spitting. I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard. Could Jesus be humiliated? Not at all. You humiliate me, I'll give you my other cheek. Take your tunic, Take give your cloak away. Here is Jesus, naked, stripped naked, and made to walk through the streets of Jerusalem. Stripped naked and placed upon a cross. Defiant. And here's Jesus, carrying a burden that was not his. Carry this cross on his back, he's carrying a burden that was not his. When Jesus goes through these three examples, what he's telling us to do is you need to love differently, you need to love defiantly, you need to love like I love. You need to do this not by being indifferent to evil or by, by excusing it or by becoming evil, but by looking right at it, like being just about it, you know, affirming the good, affirming the worth, affirming the value of the person, but restraining the vengeance. That's what you guys, that's what forgiveness really is. Forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is not telling someone, oh, it's fine, it doesn't bother me anymore. Forgiveness is not being hurt. It's not not being hurt. Forgiveness is looking at what someone's taken from you, looking at what they took from you, looking at what they cost you, like adding it up and saying, I'm not gonna make you pay me back. These parents in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, How could they forgive? They did not just say, it's okay. It wasn't okay. They were not just passive in the face of this evil thing, the most evil thing that happened in their entire lives. What they did is they they counted the cost, like not just the life of my child, but the future life, like my child could have had. The other days he, he or she could have had. The years they could have had. The grandchildren you could have had. Taking all of that and adding it all up and saying, this is what you cost me. This is what you can never pay me back. And here's forgiveness. I'm not going to wait until you try. I release you from your debt. That's what forgiveness is. It's justice. Adding up what you cost me. And then saying, I'm not gonna wait until you pay me back. And this is the kind of thing that if we don't have it, we end up not looking like him. But if we have it, it not only transforms us, it transforms everything. Like if we're willing to love differently, if we're willing to actually love defiantly, it is the kind of love that doesn't just change us, it changes the people around us. In the front of this uh, podium, in the front of this uh, is, is an image, a painting. It's not normally there if it's your first time here tonight. there's a, The woman on top is Our Lady, it's Mary, and the young girl is a woman named Maria, Maria's story is back at the beginning of the 1900s. She lived in northern Italy. Her name was Maria. And um, she had some siblings, and she had a mom. Her mom's name was Assunta, and she had a dad. When Maria was nine years old, her father died. And it was just her mom and the kids trying to work the land. And they had hired uh, some farmhands, basically. One of these farmhands was uh, just a little older than Maria. He bought seven, 16, 17 years old. His name was Alessandro. And when Maria didn't have a father anymore, Alessandro stepped in, not as a, not as a savior, not as a helper, but as a, a man who wanted to use this little girl. And when Maria was about 12, 13 years old, Alessandro, he admitted, he, he later on, he admitted that uh, he had gotten caught up in pornography. Even back in the beginning of the 1900s, he was just warped by this. And his mind, the way he looked at other human beings, the way he looked at women, was so distorted by his encounter with pornography that he started looking at this 12, 13-year-old girl like this and started making advances at her. And, he, and, and she'd be like, Alessandro, are you kidding me? That's a sin. Get away from me. And finally, Alessandro saw his, saw his moment when um, everyone was out in the field except for Maria. She was babysitting her baby sister. And Alessandro made an excuse to go back to the house to get something, where he knew that Maria would be by herself and defenseless. And he came on to Maria and tried to sexually assault her. And when she said, no, Alessandro, that's a sin. You'll go to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. Don't do this. He took out a knife and he stabbed Maria 14 times around the neck and around the chest. And he ran off, leaving her on the ground, bleeding with her baby sister crying. It took Maria 20 hours to die. It took this 13-year-old girl 20 hours to die. But that entire time, her mom was there. Asunta was there, and she's like, Mom, we have to pray for Alessandro. Think, that's crazy. As she's dying, there's her mom, and there's her priest, and she's like, Father, you have to pray for Alessandro. That he doesn't go to hell for this. Mom, you have to pray for Alessandro. You have to forgive him so he doesn't go to hell for this. And 20 hours later, she was dead. And they caught Alessandro. And because he was a minor, still, he's about 17 years old, because he was a minor, he only got 30 years in prison. He would have gotten life, obviously, for that, but because he was a kid, he didn't. But he was not just a normal kid. He was angry. He was so angry. He blamed Maria. He said it was her fault that he, that he had to come on to her. They he had to kill her, even in prison. He was blaming her. The priest that Maria had, had said, Father, don't give up on him. Please forgive him. He made a point of going to Alessandro's cell every single week. And every single week, Alessandro would, would swear at him and he'd spit at him and he'd do this thing. I remember reading a story. He'd like store up his urine in a cup and throw it at the priest when he got there. I would not go back after one time. Um, <laughs> but the priest kept coming back. And finally, after about a few years, Alessandro, whose heart was absolutely hardened, this scene happened in front of the podium where there's Mary, and Maria appeared to Alessandro. And Maria walked up to Alessandro, and she began handing him these lilies. Lilies are a sign of purity. She was handing him these lilies, one after the other. She handed him 14 lilies, 14 lilies, one for every stab wound that took her life. Saying, Alessandro, Jesus loves you. Alessandro, he wants to forgive you. And Senator woke up and he was just shaken to his core and he called out for the priest. The priest did show up. Again, I don't know if I would have, but he showed up and he, he had this massive conversion. He had incredible conversion where he, they said before he had been this like, almost an animal in prison, he became like a lamb in prison. He became an angel in prison. He just devoted his life to penance, devoted his life to prayer. 27 years later, he got out of jail. As he walked out of that prison, the first place he walked to was Maria's mom's house. And he knocked on the door, and he stood there, his hat in his hand, and Asunta opened the door. She recognized the murderer of her daughter standing there. He said, Asunta, years ago, I took everything from you. Maria has forgiven me. Will you forgive me? Now, this is something you need to know about Asunta. Um, It took 20 hours for Maria to die. But in the 30 years that followed, everything was taken from Asunta. Not only her daughter, her other kids, she was so destitute, she was so poor, she was so heartbroken that they took all of her other kids away. She was robbed of everything. That day, that man took everything from her. Not only was her, had her husband died earlier this, not only was her daughter now murdered, but all of her other kids were taken away because she was so heartbroken and so mindbroken that she couldn't function. This man destroyed her life and now he's standing at her door saying, will you forgive me? And in that moment, Asunta knew that justice meant that he, had a, he, he owed a debt he could never, ever pay. That he had taken everything from her life. But she also knew that she was called to love differently and to love defiantly. She looked at this man, her, her daughter's murderer, and she said... Maria forgave you 30 years ago. How could I not forgive you today? When St. Maria Goretti was uh, canonized in St. Peter's in Rome, her mom was in the audience, sitting next to the Pope as he declared St. Maria Goretti a saint. And seated next to Assunta, her mom, was Alessandro her murderer. Because this is what it is to to love differently. This is what it is to love defiantly. This is what it is. To love with a heart like Jesus. It doesn't excuse. It's not passive. It's not indifferent, and it's not vicious. But it is defiant. And it not only changes our hearts, it actually has the ability to change the world.